Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen podcast with Alison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea, living on a newly created family farm in northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hello, everybody. Welcome to I'm so excited for this episode. More talking about sourdough, and we have an incredible guest here today, Ellie. And I just cannot wait to ask her all the questions. So, welcome, Ellie, and welcome, Allison. Thank you. Hello. Hi. Thanks for this having is me. This so fun. <laughs> We're on three ways. <laughs> We're on three continents in three time zones. I think just a moment of acknowledgement to Allison for figuring out what time we all needed to get on in our time zones. I did it right. I think that I think you had to use calculus, didn't you? (laughs) Some advanced math. Yeah, I think so. It was algebra. You know everything. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But here we are in three different countries, three different time zones, three different continents two different hemispheres. <laughs> so this is going to be really fun talking about sourdough bread. First off, I want to say before we jump into everything, I'm so excited. Allison and I have been working hard on the Patreon, especially Allison has been working on it. You guys, she's doing so much awesome work on it and setting it up, coming up with some verbiage and things like that. So I'm really excited to be able to share the Patreon with you all soon because you are asking, which I'm so grateful for, when can we do a Patreon? So I'm super stoked about that. And Allison and I just recorded our first Patreon episode for the super special other podcast that y'all get on the Patreon. So that was really fun, Allison. That was a good time for me. Yeah, it was. (laughs) Enjoyed it. All right, so how we usually start out, Ellie, is we talk about <clears throat> what what our last meal was. And um, for Allison, it's usually breakfast because it's morning for her when we record. Mm-hmm. For me, it's usually dinner. And I actually don't know what it is for you. I think <laughs> lunch. What, lunch? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right, so we got all the meals here. So I'll, <laughs> I'll start out um, asking Allison, what did you have? Or did you have breakfast yet, Allison? No, I haven't had breakfast yet. Okay. No, I got up and I'm, and I plonked myself on this seat <laughs> and I'm here. But I can tell you what I'm going to have for breakfast. Yeah, I want to like. hear it. Yeah. So we made beer um, last week, and in the this process is starting of filtering well. the beer, <laughs> we <laughs> we have two kind of grain sediments. One of them's the quite thick grains, which I use to bake bread. You can kind of they're just roughly ground up grain and I save those and I make bread with them and then once we filter that we are still left with kind of like a flour consistency that's at the bottom of the drink that is the thinner parts of the grain like the white bits that have fallen off and those stay in the beer and then we pour the beer off and leave those at the bottom of the bottle and then once we finish the beer I get those bits out of the bottom of the bottle sometimes with difficulty and I make porridge out of them and it is the the most sour most delightful porridge ever really and so when we finished I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to have a porridge from the spelt bits that are left at the bottom of the beer and I'll put my usual on it which is miso and linseed 
and some crunchy nuts probably and olive oil and mix it all around. It's kind of a weird breakfast, but it's one of my favourites. Mm. I'm sorry, are, you're having a beer porridge? <laughs> yeah, breakfast. I'm into this. I don't know what it is, but don't I'm ever into call it. me weird. A beer porridge for breakfast. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I wish I could share. Sounds good. Yeah, me too. Because it's quite apt for for, for our um, episode today, being you know kind of a bread thing and a grain thing. No, it is a fermenting thing. Now bread and you you. So you talked about this when we did the the Patreon recording, and you read that passage from the book mm. that I was like basically crying over. Um, but. Mm. Bread and beer have always kind of gone together. Yeah, which side is by so side. Fascinating. And the recipe that I'm making is made with par-baked bread to hold the yeast. Right. So it's, it, they are, yeah, just historically have been paired and made together. And it feels really good in my bones and my body mm. to be making both and using the leftovers in porridge and bread it's like a cycle that feels just so whole and real it's mm. it's wonderful sounds I good it. i love mm. how you get yeah. all different how about your dinner oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh no you're good no, go i'm jumping in already <laughs> this is so much go We're, go no this we is, want you to no, yeah, just, we want you to i was just gonna say Alison, i love how you get all of the different it's like you're extracting all these layers out of all of the food that you make and eat and i just really appreciate that just different levels and layers it's really fascinating mm. yeah that's what's so deep about the this beer because it's not just beer you know there are these layers there's the bread before mm. there's the bread afterwards and then i found this porridge which i don't know if anyone else is doing or whether it's just me who likes really sour <laughs> porridge um, but it it feels so satisfying to be utilizing everything to the to the nth degree in it and then knowing that it's local grain and it's come from around here it feels it feels whole it feels like real mm -hmm. and right that's a nice mm -hmm. thing wonderful yeah it's so completely broken down you know the grain at that point yeah. is just it's totally accessible and I can't really imagine the difference between eating that and how little energy in your body oh. needs to go into digesting that versus just getting, mm. you know, a bag of oats and cooking it in 10 minutes in, you know, in the morning for breakfast um, and how much yeah. more of your energy would need to be shunted over to that process. It's just crazy. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what did you have to <laughs> Well, um, so I had dinner. Um, I think it's so funny mm. that we have all, you know, like the three meals. <laughs> three meals. <laughs> so I had, what, let's see, what did I have? Uh, we had some ground beef um, mm -hmm. from a friend and then the sausage that Gary and I made a couple weeks ago. And then I, let's see, peppers and greens from the freezer from last summer. Getting to the bottom of that. Mm. <laughs> uh, liver. I don't know if it was sheep or goat because I just had like a cooler of them and I divided them into bags and froze them and wrote on the sheep mm -hmm. or goat question mark. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can't tell them apart. So, um, so liver whacked in and then we made that into burritos or quesadillas or bowls. Oh, just depends on what everybody wanted. So um, were the peppers fresh before you put them in? Or no, they were frozen. Previously? They were frozen we took but they, were they frozen fresh or were they frozen cooked oh right 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 no they were frozen fresh so we all the peppers that mm. we picked last summer just kind of like bells and pimentos and things like that and we just 
chop them into big kind of chunky dice and just filled bag after bag of them and froze them do they freeze okay oh yeah they freeze fantastic Oh, yeah well we it, it was um i like having peppers to throw into you know stir fries and things like that but um i don't like it canned so much so right okay um let's see we had that and then i made like a rhubarb and apple pie filling well, I had some fresh rhubarb from a friend and then some Yum. apple pie filling that I had canned last summer and I just kind of heated that up on the stove together and that was like a little dessert. So that was pretty tasty. Mm. That was yeah. dinner. It was delicious. And then we sat out at the campfire until way too late. <laughs> Five minutes ago. Yeah. And I was like, ah, I gotta go. So let's hear what Ellie had. What yeah. was your last meal, Ellie? What, what did you have Ellie's for lunch? lunch your well, time? actually, I really want to tell you about my second last meal. <laughs> but, Ooh. Yeah, well, can I tell you? I'll be quick, but I'll tell you about two meals that I had today. I mm. This morning I had my fermented oats, which I've been eating every day now for the last three days since I started. So I've been starting my batches with leftovers from the day before I don't know if that's okay to do but I it seems to be working mm -hmm. and I'm loving them they I just love it it's amazing how much I don't know whether it's I don't know it seems to be more creamy than usual I'm just soaking them in water I agree and way I'm putting creamier. yeah way that's creamier I've never done it before I have fed my sourdough starter with oats before and it loves it you know just for mm -hmm. fun I'd put different things in there from time to time but I've never actually mm -hmm. fermented a bowl of oats like that so I've been having those and they were great but for lunch I had and you told oh, me yes. Ellie I want to ask a question sure. about the oats. You told me that they were kind of effervescent. And I wondered, <laughs> are you putting a lid on the jar when you're no. fermenting them to kind of trap the bubbles no, in? No, not what? at all. I can okay, just... still effervescent. I can wow. just... Yeah, I can just feel it. I can feel a little bit of effervescence yeah, and the texture on my tongue. So, yeah, no, I'm not pressurizing my oats. Nice. That would be interesting, though. <laughs> <laughs> do um, it, do but it. I, <laughs> I have to find a really big <laughs> jar with a really good lid for that. Um, I really think once you start fermenting the oats, you can't go back no no oh, i don't think i so, can it's so good yeah and why would you want to when you discover something like mm. that i fermented yeah. lots of things in my life but i just never you know i knew that there was more possibilities um in terms of fermenting grain that i had done but just kind of hadn't got there yet really and listening to your podcast was has been so inspiring and I thought you know I'm just going to try this so I got half a teaspoon of my sourdough starter out and just mixed it in with some water just with some rolled oats and yeah left it overnight and the first batch wasn't super sour but I could taste it and then what was left over from that I left for the rest of that day and I ate it in the afternoon and it was really lovely and I could taste a little bit of the effervescence as I said and it had a really nice sour zing to it too which was great I think I'll put a little bit of honey with it I can't remember now but oh, I've since had it with a bit of fruit good. and different things yeah it was really good combination so yeah but um and what about your oh, lunch Tell us my about lunch, your lunch well. I had a really simple lunch but very delicious it's quite cold here and I really feel the cold I'm really sensitive to cold mm. which is probably good good um 
thing that I'm living in a subtropical climate, but it's not particularly cold weather by most people's standards. But um, yeah, <laughs> okay, what's cold? What's uh, cold well, to me, it's it's only twenty three degrees <laughs> Celsius, <laughs> which is fairly warm. You'll have to convert yeah, that to Fahrenheit. That's, that's quite cold in my book as yeah. well. Um, okay, I'm <laughs> all right. I'm laughing. I had to look it up because <laughs> 23 Celsius is 73 Fahrenheit, and I'm laughing because this morning I was talking to one of our hip campers, and it was 60 degrees out, and we were like, "Oh my word, it's so hot out today! This is ridiculous." <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah, and we were like, "Oh man, take yeah. off his jacket." <laughs> uh, it's so funny. You do get used to different climates, though. I guess. Um, no, it's true. Yeah. But um, I got very, very acclimatized is the word, I think. I don't know how to say that. I got acclimatized uh to the warm, warm weather in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And it it took me a couple years to readjust when we got back here. Yeah, yeah. So so I had some soup for lunch. I had some split pea and veggie soup that I had, something I make Mm. all the time. And I had that with some beautiful um, spelt, 100% spelt sourdough bread. I had a few pieces of that. Is that... Is that the one you said when I posted Calde Verde on the Ancestral yeah. Kitchen podcast and then you said, oh, I have a split pea soup that is five ingredients I make all the yeah. time. Is that this one? That's the one. That's the one. Uh, it's really simple. Um, what's your ingredients? It's it's literally uh, one and a half to two cups of yellow split peas. You can use green mm. split peas as well. Um, I use one potato, one onion, one carrot, and one really nice ripe big tomato and I put the whole lot in a pot with a whole heap of water. Growing up, we always had it with um, bacon bones or ham hocks, um, basically a pea and ham soup, but I'm a plant-based eater these days, so I actually put sometimes a little bit of liquid smoke in there to give it that Ooh. sort of smoky flavor, and that's a mm. really nice version, and that's, that's how I make it, and I've been eating it my whole life. <laughs> I really love it. It's yeah. probably my favorite food ever, so we have it all the time. Food. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one of those, those comfort foods are just wonderful. You just can go back and yeah. back and back to them, and, and with feel a bit of yeah. like you're coming exactly, home. Exactly, exactly. And with a you know a bit of salt added, it's incredible how just a few ingredients can make you know if the ingredients uh, is the right combination and they they the quality of what they are they what they are just shines through. You know, it's. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. simple things mm-hmm. can be really, really delicious. So, I mean, the bread is a great example of that too. The spelt bread, it's just one grain. Yeah. It's one humble ancient grain, and but the flavor is outstanding. So, yeah, I just like to find those things that I like. And I tend to eat a lot of similar, similar things over and over again, but um, with a few variations here and there. But that was my lunch. Yeah. That sounds mm. lovely. Beautiful. Yeah. So let me let me explain to everyone listening how I first kind of came to know oh, you, cool. Ellie, because we haven't done any introductions. No, and yet. I don't think <laughs> I know <laughs> this either. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, yeah. there you go. So um, when I started baking sourdough, it was probably about three and a half years ago. I used a forum, which is called the Fresh Loaf, to kind of do my yes. research and get to know. It. And I started baking with the intention to be 100% whole grain. I wasn't interested in baking with white flowers at all, and yet I'd never baked sourdough before. So, uh, and in addition, I wanted to use UK flowers. So I was kind of going right in at the deep end, and this forum was amazing. And on there, quite a lot of people 
are playing with your recipes, experimenting with your recipes, making wow. your recipes. And on a post on there, I saw someone reference your 100% whole grain loaf mm-hmm. recipe. So I went and watched your video <laughs> and it was one where the wheat is soaked with mm. the water overnight mm. and then in the morning you come back and put in the sourdough starter. Yeah. But you come back to the kind of the wheat and the water or the spelt in my case and the yes. water already in some kind of dough consistency. Yeah. And I discovered your YouTube channel through that and saw all your other videos. And then I mean, I've been following you. And then when I went back on Instagram last year, we found each other on there because you opened your Instagram account. Yeah. And then since then, it's been wonderful to watch all your breads and also your soaps because you have two channels. You have your Ellie's Everyday Whole Grain Sourdough Mm -hmm. channel on YouTube and your Ellie's Everyday Soap Making. Um, So I watch all of those go round on my Instagram (laughs) and get totally inspired and have made several of your breads and... The last one, I think, was your um, hot cross buns. And I played with that and changed it a bit up and made those. Yeah, wonderful. So, yeah, for for those who don't know Ellie, go and check out her um, two YouTube channels. She's been making sourdough for ever. (laughs) And then I think in about five years ago, she did her first video, put it up on YouTube, and really it's become extremely successful. And how many followers do you have on your um, Whole Grain Sourdough um, channel now? Well, that's a really small channel. I've only just started that because I'm just focusing ah, on okay. the Whole Grain the Sourdough. Yeah, off. but my original channel, which is now been taken over completely by the soap making, <laughs> that has all of my original mm-hmm. sourdough recipes still on it. But it's got about a, a, okay, 130,000 at the moment, the last time I looked roughly yeah. wow so so a yeah, lot a lot of people are watching your videos and baking your breads which must feel amazing oh, look I honestly try not to think about it too much because I can't c- quite compute like it's hard to imagine that number yeah. of people but uh yeah it's it's very it's been a very humbling experience and um oh gosh yeah I don't quite know what to say about that I get a bit <laughs> I get a bit shy about it actually but um, I do, I do love oh, it. It's, I it's enjoy wonderful. it, and I, I'm really, I'm really just trying to help people out. And I feel like when I first started, I was really, um, I think a lot of newcomers just get bombarded by all the um, technicalities and, and, in my view, overly scientific approach to bread making and this perfectionism that just isn't achievable for most people and not everybody wants that either you know so I I totally agree and that that's why I was attracted to you because you know you've got such a kind of a joyful attitude but you're not worried about having everything absolutely perfect you you're you care greatly about the flowers that you're using I can tell that and you mill your own flour Mm -hmm. and it's wonderful to see that and you're focused on 100% whole grain, which is really interesting. Yes. But it's it's done in such a way that you're kind of open and easygoing, which demystifies yes. what's behind sourdough yeah. and focuses on making good, wholesome bread in a calm, joyful <laughs> way rather than making everything perfect, which is, I think, which is why I 
really liked and kind of stuck by what you were doing because that's that's some that's a style I really appreciate. Yeah, thanks, and I think a lot of people do. Yeah, that's that's really what I'm trying to achieve. Really, I, I feel like I'm just really sharing my experience. I'm just. I do get so many questions and um, contact behind the scenes, people asking me questions. People really do want to get started and I feel like if there's one person that I can help to get over that boundary of, you know, I just can't get my head around sourdough, then, you know, if a video that I've got that says, oh, you can do it this way or you can do it that way, it doesn't really matter, you know, you'll work it out. Um, If that encourages people to break down those barriers and, and... and and get going with it then I'm happy that's 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 good yep excellent so how did you get into sourdough first of all what's your history yeah it's interesting I've been thinking about this question and I guess the answer is really twofold it started off for me probably like things do for many people firstly as an idea something that I was exposed to a long time ago um, but didn't actually start really playing around with until much later Um, but I've been baking my own breads for nearly 20 years now um, since sometime in the 90s (laughs) the late 90s showing my age Um, but um, I the very first bread book I ever bought was a book called the natural tucker bread book tucker being an Australian colloquial term for food so natural tucker bread book by John Downs and John Downs is really the the um, the pioneer of sourdough baker um, baking in Australia. He had the first sourdough bakery in Melbourne that was started in the 70s, I think, and uh, really got things going here. But in this book I bought, I just the whole book I have to thank for me falling in love with bread making altogether. Even though I had always had an interest in baking and cooking my whole life. Um, but I found this book and I realized quite quickly that half of the book was uh, dedicated to breads made with a leaven. And there was no mention of the word sourdough or anything like that, but these left, you know, naturally leavened breads. So I kind of learnt about, you know, sourdough starters and um, uh, that kind of wild yeast risen breads through that book. But when I first started baking, I just thought, oh, it's just a bit too much for me. I don't know if, I, if I'm into it. And nobody else that I knew of was doing it or had even heard of it um, back then here. So I just proceeded with making my yeast breads most, mostly with whole grain flours. And, and then I experimented with using really small amounts of yeast from the Jim Lay kind of tradition um, that he learnt from Italy actually so fermenting his breads over a much longer period of time using just a pinch of yeast so I started as I learnt more and more and more I eventually um, got back into sourdough and it was I think it was around 2009 when I really gave it a serious crack and finally got my starter going I had had some attempts before that but um yeah, you know, my starters languished in the back of the fridge and died of mold, sadly, <laughs> because I just didn't have the confidence, you know, I didn't have the, I didn't have an understanding of it mm. that I was happy with. So I didn't really know what I was doing. And I, I really had to do more learning and figure it out for myself. But once I did that, I was off. So it's been, yeah, 2009, I think, since I started with sourdough, but baking bread generally a lot, lot, lot longer than that. Um, 
That's really inspiring to hear you say, I didn't know what I was oh, doing. No. Because yes. I think that's, <laughs> that's true of anyone. On I any still don't know what curve. I'm doing. You at the beginning, you never know what you're doing. You never know what you're doing. But you, but you do. Oh, you do no. And, you know, you're sharing all this wonderful stuff. Yeah. And, and there was a point where you didn't know what you were oh, doing. Oh, no. And, and yeah. that's, that's just a wonderful example yeah. of how we Absolutely. learn. Absolutely. And, and I remember you talking in that. one of the previous episodes Alison I think might have been the introductory one where you're talking about your curiosity and I really could relate to that um, Mm. because I love the idea of sourdough I understood that it was a better way to consume bread it was healthier the the you know it was more digestible for everybody you know particularly people who had um, you know gluten sensitivities and things like that which I didn't but that just appealed Mm. to me I thought if I can make a bread that most people can eat and tolerate well then that's got to be a good thing Uh, and it's better for me too it just appealed to me on so many levels so um yeah I really wanted to understand it and I think if you kind of it is more challenging sourdough bread making I don't think anyone finds it really easy especially at the beginning there is a bit of a learning curve but um if you decide that you want to do it uh, and you take a little bit of time to have a bit of a dive into it um and hopefully stumble across some teachers who can show you some shortcuts and demystify all those myths that are out there, um, then you can get going with it pretty easily. Yeah. Okay. Um, Andrea, do you have a question for Ellie? Um, How many can I ask? (laughs) (laughs) I have so many questions. Or you've got to kind of share them out because we're both desperate to ask questions. Um, Well, I do have one question actually that wasn't on the um, um, list of questions that Alison was coming Uh up with. But I wanted to ask because this is something that I get asked a lot and I get pictures texted to me a lot. (laughs) And you talked about your starter languishing in the fridge, which... Uh Probably a lot of us who make sourdough can say, yep, that. Yeah. <laughs> that has happened. Yes. But when you have a healthy sourdough start on your counter, can you tell us what it looks like? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, my criteria for a healthy sourdough starter is that it smells good. You know, I think the Mm. nose knows if it smells off, it probably is off. Um, You know, if it smells really funky, sometimes they can get funny, different aromas to them. I've had my starter that smelled a bit like bananas at times or different fruits and things like that. And that's totally okay. But if it smells bad, Mm. it's probably not good. So that's, that's Mm. the first thing I would have a bit of a sniff. Uh, if there's visible mold on the top, um, and I, I do talk about mold a fair bit because it's very relevant to where I live, you know, in the subtropics, we do have really hot, mm. humid summers and you do have to store things differently here. So yeah, if you've got, you know, uh, calm yeast, the really, um, thin kind of layer of white mm. powdery mold that you can get on the top of some ferments sometimes starters will develop that that's not necessarily an issue you could probably scrape that off and then you know um, maybe discard the rest of the starter or use it for crepes or composted or something um, and refeed it and it'll probably be okay if you've got mold you know like black mold or really yucky mold that's not necessarily 
um, something that you can't recover from, but it's a sign of neglect, really. Um, if your starter is healthy, it's going to just look like bubbly uh, batter of flour and water, which is what it is. Um, right. Yeah, it's yeah. usually they should really smell that like that combination of sourness, a bit of tartness and acidity in the smell, but also you should be able to smell a yeasty smell as well because it really is a symbiotic, the culture is a symbiotic relationship between lactic acid bacterias and some acetic um, acids as well and yeasts, you know, wild yeasts off the flower that it's grown in. So you should be able to smell some yeasts as well. But um, if you're keeping your sourdough starter on the counter, um, do, you, do, you, do people store, like just keep their starters out in room temperature where you are, Andrea, or is that more common? Or do they use the fridge? Um, everybody that I know keeps theirs on the counter. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that's, mm. I've heard a lot about that. Um, and that seems to be, a, have a really, uh, it's a really common way of keeping it in, you know, the American um, tradition. Uh-huh. And, and you guys have such a rich history with sourdough. Um, that Australia <laughs> doesn't have. <laughs> we're, we're developing it, but um, I think a lot of that is climate dependent. And if you're using your right. starter frequently, I would say if you live in a reasonably cool climate and you're using it regularly, you can keep it on the bench on, on the counter. We just say the bench mm-hmm. here. You can just keep it on the bench and it'll be fine because you're going to refresh it every couple of days. You know, if you've got family and you're making bread quite frequently i can't see why anything would go wrong with it it should be able to last a couple of days um but if it's if it's smelling really really super sour or it's smelling a bit off it's probably a sign that it needs to be used or refreshed more frequently and if that's not possible i'd consider storing it in the fridge using a fridge maintenance method which i use i just couldn't keep my starter on the bench here in summer it's too hot it would just go off it yeah it f- i i keep mine in the fridge i think it's a, a similar yeah. thing especially in yeah. the summer it's not you it's not that. possible yeah. for me yeah. no yeah, yeah. Mm. our house never gets what mm, never gets that warm in the summer so mm-hmm. it should be fine mm. um do okay. you think ellie that um sorry do you want to andrea no go go <laughs> i was gonna change <laughs> the subject you. so carry on <laughs> yeah, that's, I wanted to just kind of pull pull on the sourdough starter a little bit and say that I know that a lot of questions that get put to sourdough bakers are about starters because mm. um, I've had loads of them myself. I know that, you know, you've helped a lot of people and you have a lot of people baking your breads. Do you think it's the starters that stop people from baking their own oh. sourdough or is there something else in your experience that stops people from baking their own sourdough and and how can we solve that because I, I mean I want the world to be yeah, baking sourdough so what's your thoughts <laughs> Alison is on a mission Ali we, oh, <laughs> we share this mission yes absolutely I think it's two things I think yes it is the starter and maintaining it and managing it and knowing what to do with mm-hmm. it um, that's one part of it, but I also think it's actually baking the bread. Um, there are some really key, fairly um, simple concepts and understandings of important processes that you do need to know to be able to get it to work. Um, and I think 
it's the same with the starters um obviously it's a there's a fermentation process going on here that includes acids as a byproduct of the fermentation which regular commercial yeast risen breads don't have so you can put a a bowl of dough on the bench that is just got some commercial yeast in it and you can put a bowl of dough that is uh, fermented with sourdough you know exactly the same quantities side by side one the yeast one will ferment and get bubbly and do its thing and get really yeasty but you could come back two days later and still make a loaf of bread out of that dough the sourdough one you couldn't because of the acids in sourdough there is a point where it just goes too far and it completely breaks down so it literally everything falls apart the the, it loses its stretch Mm. the gluten breaks down so i think um yeah people like i said before the understanding the sourdough starter and kind of getting that right and knowing what it should look like when it's ready to bake and all that sort of stuff is hard but actually and do you think that just comes from experience or are there things that you would say to people um, to, to help them get over those two things yeah i part of it comes down to experience but part of it just is about knowing what to look for too i think um on a really basic level your sourdough starter when you feed it you know you're mixing in fresh flour and water to feed it up after you've used it hopefully Um, I usually just have a small amount left in the bottom of my jar I don't feed you know I don't have a great big ton of it that I then add more flour to I usually make sure I've only got a little bit left over and feed that with lots more fresh flour and water Um, and then basically stirring it up and waiting for it to repopulate with that culture so you want to see it getting bubbly if it's bubbly and active whether it's thick or thin it doesn't matter what consistency it is it doesn't matter how high hydration it has you know this different rules about how much water and flour you should feed it it doesn't matter as long as it's active really it's going to raise a loaf of bread but if you uh, leave it for too long you got to know, like I said before, that with a sourdough culture, it has acids in it as well as yeasts, and acids break down the structures that hold bread up. So uh, if your sourdough starter has gone too far, um, it's going to make your bread really acidic. Um, and if you're using a lot of sourdough starter in your bread, that's a whole lot of um, piece of your bread then that is fairly broken down so it will change the structure of the bread does that help does that make sense yeah, yeah but but really yeah, just Certainly. making Thank sure you. it's active and knowing what to look out for um but most people i think once they find their groove with it it's usually because they found some method that makes sense to them that's not too much work and once they've mm-hmm. got that you know they're fine but there's this infinitely I, I think that's an important yeah. point not too much yeah. work because right. people yeah. kind of you, you can put it in the fridge and you forget yeah. about it and that's it and you get yeah. on with your life and it, it has to be a rhythm mm. that you can incorporate into yeah. your days and not be too much work because otherwise you're just not yeah. going to do it I, so it's finding that yeah rhythm. I don't know if you've noticed but a lot on a lot of my posts I will actually say I used half a cup of starter Um, straight from the fridge five days old and I put that in there on purpose because there's all this so-called rules out there about 
your starter must be fresh, yeah. must be fed three hours before you bake bread or whatever. It doesn't need to be. As long as the starter was really active and really healthy when you put it in the fridge, it's going to it's going to maintain the yeast and the culture in that um, well enough to be able to raise a loaf after five days in the fridge. It's going to do a fine job. So I don't advocate for you know waking your starter up again and going through this whole big process before you make bread you can do that if you want and you might make slightly better bread but for me you know my bread making methods were developed at a time when I was working full-time in really you know difficult Mm. jobs and I needed it to be a no-brainer I just needed it to be easy and and I didn't want to have to plan out my whole week around my bread making So my starter just sits in, I'll tell you briefly my method. I have, say, about two-thirds of a cup of starter that sits in the fridge. When I want to make a loaf of bread, I take it out. I use however much I want in my bread, usually most of what I've got in there. Uh, I mix up my bread and then, you know, the bread ferments and I make the bread. And after I've taken the starter out of the jar and put that in with my bread dough, What's left in the jar, it's usually a teaspoon or, or two, not much at all. I refeed that. I feed that up with new flour and new water and mix it up. I usually let it rise again alongside the bread. So I'll often have my bowl of bread dough sitting on the bench and I'll have my little starter jar. And a few hours later, or once I can see that it's starting to get bubbly again, I put it back in the fridge. And that's where it stays till the next time I'm ready to make bread. So do you never make a separate level no, for your recipes no. at all? Oh, rarely. Wow. Sometimes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes. I love the freedom of being able to go, ah, yeah. oh, I just mm. want to mix up a loaf of bread. <laughs> I want to do and it I today. I want to do it today. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So that's the way. And I actually think that that method, that really kind of low-key method of managing a sourdough starter, I really think that's how my youtube channel and that very first video that i did i really think that that's one of the reasons why the whole thing took off because people it was new Mm. people going oh you don't have to make a a leaven you don't have to refeed it you don't have to get it to this that's liberating yeah yeah it really is um because and it makes sense because really it's the same with other ferments the same as sauerkraut you know once it's fermented you put it in the fridge and you could use yeah. that to inoculate another batch, but it, those cultures stay alive. They just go into hibernation. So you can just pull that out. And in my, especially in summer, I think it makes a lot of sense to use cold starter straight from the fridge. I don't even warm it up. I literally yeah. just take it straight out, put it straight in the bread dough. And when you're milling your own grain as well, um, which I do, the flour is often warm from the mill it's not super hot but it's a bit warm from the mill so using cold starter and sometimes i even use cold water as well that helps to balance out the temperature of the dough because you don't want really warm dough uh, because the warmer your dough is the more chance you may have of over fermenting it which is probably one of the biggest Uh problems with sourdough um yeah so that that very easy um method allows people get really excited about it unless unless you really are looking for you know super pro baker um (laughs) standard breads with these giant big glossy open crumb but if you're an everyday and that's that's the whole thing behind ellie's everyday i guess it's really just 
everyday ways of doing things that are easy to do around whatever kind of lifestyle or schedule that you have because most of us um you know we don't bake bread full-time and do it for a living (laughs) we do it because we want to eat and we want to feed our children and or whatever the case may be so yeah i know there's a lot of moms listening i know because they're all my friends yeah (laughs) and we talk about the podcast you know and so we talk about everything that we're talking about on here Mm. and really um I've had a bunch of people message me, Allison, after we did the five, you know, cheap things you can make at home. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people said, oh, the water kefir just sounds so easy, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of things where we would do it if the method were not so daunting. Yes. And I think if somebody, if somebody wants to do what you said of, you know, a fancy 14 step glossy open crumb. Yeah. (laughs) Which is lovely, but yeah. 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 Start with, um, this, you know, make bread every day. And I think there's a lot of things that people would do if we didn't feel like it was so intimidating. And Allison and I also talk a lot about how these are things, this is how people you know, ate to survive exactly. and they weren't trying to post, you know, the Instagram picture. They were like, I have 12 children and they want food. You know? Exactly. So yeah, yeah this yeah. is fantastic. And I think as well as that too, um, you can actually make really, really good breads using simple methods too. Yeah. Oh, that, you not know, even yeah. joking, not yeah. even joking. And, and your, your simplest recipe as you're you're saying i say simple in quotes mm-hmm. your simplest recipe mm-hmm. is once again going to exceed that expensive loaf that you buy at a store just Absolutely. because of the sheer fact of how the quality of the ingredients and the process and the literal freshness i mean where else can you get bread that's five minutes old <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and it, it's kind of this thing's all about trends you know there's mm. a trend at the moment for the open crumb yeah yeah yeah, style yeah. Bread. you're right and you know people are chasing that because mm. they're chasing a, a kind of a desire and a look but the truth is like you said you can make really good mm. bread mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't look anything like that's that right. and it's easy yeah. And if we, as a community, want people to move towards creating their own food and caring about where their grains come Mm. from and eating sourdough, not store-bought bread, then the way that we can do that is what you're doing, which is share the simplest method that even people, like you say, who are working nine to five, like you were, can build it into their life. And then that becomes part of them and they've moved right. a step forward towards living the way that they want exactly. to, which is wonderful. Exactly. Freedom. Yeah. And once you know, like I said, you know, there is that little bit of a learning curve with sourdough, but once you know what you're looking for and you, you learn that basic knowledge and you develop a, a little bit of skill in some dough handling um, stuff and you understand the factors of temperature and time and how to manipulate them to suit your, your schedule, you can make awesome sourdough any day of the week Mm. you know there's so many different um cheats and tricks and shortcuts um yeah it's incredible actually i i love it i i'm i actually never make the same thing with the same method twice because i'm always 
just trying out new things but there's always an easier way to do it so um yeah it can be done absolutely amen to that so what's the bread you make the most ellie and would you share with us the kind of process and the details Mm. around it yes well (laughs) i saw this question on the list and i have to say in all honesty there isn't one there really isn't (laughs) i because you change it each time use recipes i never have I use recipes, yeah. but I make them up as I go, and I share recipes. <laughs> I know that. Feeling. I share like all of the recipes that I share with other people is really for the benefit of um, people who do want a bit more guidance and they want a recipe because they're still learning or whatever. But I l- honestly don't think I ever make the same bread twice. It's never the same I either change the process because I'm doing something different on that day you know I'm putting my dough in my cooler with an ice brick because it's really hot and I have to go out or (laughs) I'm I'm sticking it in a big roaster with a hot of with a mug of boiling water because I'm in a hurry and (laughs) it's cold and I want it to hurry up or I'm using different flowers all the time I have the whole um, cabinet under my bench where my mill is I'm milling my own grain. So I literally just look in there and go, what am I going to have? So I just make them up. But I guess I could say um, some of my regulars would be, um, I I do use um, my sort of basic grains that I use um, that I mill would be probably organic whole wheat I use a fair amount of mainly because historically that's all you've really been able to get in Australia for a long time Um, and there are some really lovely wheat um, grown here in Queensland so I do like to try and um, use that a bit but lately I've been getting some really beautiful spelt so I've been using that a lot more so spelt is wonderful Um, so I will often do 100% wheat loaves with either plain or with seeds added or I might put in a bit of spelt or I might put in a bit of rye I love um, sort of Scandinavian style rye breads I have made a lot of them over the years I haven't made one for a little while I'm probably due for another one but they are so easy to make so they're a really good hands-off recipe to make you just mix it up leave it and then later on in the day put it in a tin raise it and bake it um, you don't have to worry about gluten development with a rye bread because there isn't much mm. um they're really easy so yeah any any kind of combination the the base flowers like i said are usually wheat um spelt or rye but i also have um barley and i play around with a whole lot of um other things in my blends as well which is um while the milling is so handy you can try all sorts of ingredients Mm. i've made breads with um, millet and sorghum and teff and even brown rice and all sorts of things in them so i just basically make up whatever i feel like on any given day tell us a little bit more about the milling because i know that's you do all of your flour explain how that works and what you use um how that works it's basically i have a bench top stone mill um there's a whole lot on the market there's um but the one that i have is um, designed by a man called wolfgang mock in um germany and he's been designing these um stone bench top mills for a long time so i have a, a little mock mill 
and basically it's got a hopper on the top and you pour your you turn it on pour the grain in the top and it's got a little lever on the side where you can adjust the grind it's basically just got two stones inside with a hole in the middle and the the grain goes into the hole and then is sort of fed out in between the stones and the coarseness of the flour depends on how far apart the stones are so you just adjust it depending on whether or not you want coarse flour or fine wow. flour and you stick a bowl under it and it comes out <laughs> so cool yeah it is very it's literally cool. stones like it's literally yeah stones. well they're they're not um no they it's a it is I think it's a natural stone material, but it's it's like uh-huh. a composite that is manufactured yeah. stone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can imagine because they'd have to make it the exact shape. But yeah. that's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. I think it's kind of... Well, Alison, we can, why, why we you can do stop this? grinding it by hand in our little... Yeah, stone grain. Oh, yeah, with our mind. two stones outside <laughs> in the backyard. I've got the way we've been doing it. I want to know... You totally can. I want you to can know buy white stone what? mills india they use mm-hmm. a lot in indian households no yeah. i don't i don't want to buy one <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got other things you want to do other than grinding grind flour yeah. get one that you can plug in <laughs> they're great <laughs> can you tell us why you mill? Yeah. why you don't buy yeah. flour um it's a good question i made a decision a few years back that um, I really just wanted to eat as much whole foods as I could, um, including whole whole grain flours in my bread making. And at the time, I was quite involved with the sourdough baking community in Australia. And there's a man called Chris Stafferton in Tasmania. I hope he listens to this. Hi, Chris. Um, who, <laughs> who is, um, he only makes gluten-free sourdough, but he is a wizard with that stuff and he can make sourdough bread with wait, just about, wait, hold on. Yep. <laughs> gluten-free. <laughs> gluten-free sourdough. And yes. I know I have had a lot of people ask me and I, I'd say it, I know it's possible. Can you say his name again? <laughs> his name is Chris Stafferton. He Chris Stafferton. is okay. in... Uh, Devonport in Tasmania. He has a book that he that he released a couple wow. of years ago called Promise and Fulfillment: Real Bread Real Breads Made Without Gluten. He's the guru of whole gra- of um, gluten free sourdough. But here's the rub: he uses all whole grains, so he's not using these funny gluten free flour mixes that are yes. all full of gums yeah, and God knows what. Yeah. He is a miller as well. He was one of the people that influenced me to get into home milling because I saw this man making these amazing breads with millet and sorghum and teff and brown rice and all these things. And I thought, wow, imagine what kind of breads I could make, even wheat based breads but with all these other things added in. And I just, just the freedom and the fun and the flexibility and the creativity that that posed for me was irresistible. So I had to get a meal. (laughs) Um, And even though I don't have a need to eat uh, gluten-free bread, um, I love the idea of using a whole variety of grains in my bread making. And that, yeah. And I guess really the other part of the answer to that is freshness. Um, if you have baked, uh, if you've baked bread or anything really with freshly milled flour, 
uh, you'll know that it is a really different thing. Um, I was trying to think of an analogy for it, and the only thing I thought of is it's like if you cut an apple, if you make a fruit salad and you cut up your apples and you cut up your oranges or whatever, um, and you leave them sitting on a bowl in the bench for a day, they'll still be edible at the end of the day, and they'll probably still taste pretty yeah. good. But they'll be a little bit wilted and they'll be a bit oxidized and they're just, you know, they're not, you just can't get them. They're just not going to be the same as if it was as, as when you just cut it. So it's the same thing with flour, I think. Um, and I certainly, uh, I have a f- absolute appreciation that not everybody's going to have access to milling their own grains and it's not going to be a possibility for loads of people and Mm. totally want to support those people in whatever they want to do and whatever they're able to do as well and any bread or anything that you can make with um make in your own kitchen with whatever flowers you can get regardless of what they are is still going to be better than stuff made in a factory (laughs) um but if you can uh yeah i i was quite blown away by it um freshly milled whole wheat and sort of gluten gluteny type uh, grains like wheat and spelt and um you know the ancient wheats they have a real funny kind of gelatinous quality to them when you add the water to it they Mm. just i don't know they smell different they look different they feel different i think um the pre-milled flowers feel to me drier in comparison like some of the moisture has come out of them they feel a bit drier which makes sense um i think they perform similarly as long as your store-bought whole grain flowers are reasonably fresh i know that there are grain growers in australia who sell whole grain but they also sell flour as well and they tell their customers you must store it properly especially in australia yeah and and use it within six weeks because it's especially if it's stone milled it has the whole grain in the flour so including the germ and the oily part and if that Mm -hmm. is if that's going to get too old it's going to be prone to rancidity and you know, it's just not going to have the the life. John Downs, that fellow who wrote the book that I talked about in the beginning, I actually came across him in at a conferency type grains gathering thing I went to down in Victoria a couple of years ago. Oh, I know. I, I, I was, I don't know if I was the only one from Brisbane, but you could probably tell by the way I was dressed. I was so excited to be there, <laughs> but, um, I was so nervous. I didn't have the guts to go up and introduce myself to him, which I regret. But I've since chatted to him online. But he, I overheard him talking about the life force of, of freshly milled grain. And I thought, he knows. It, it really does yes. have a life force to it. Just like yes. the apple that is freshly cut compared to the apple that's been cut up into little bits and sat on the bench all day. It's just got a different energy to it you know it's fresher it sounds so nerdy to say but i totally agree with you and allison (laughs) i was just commenting something about this on um aaron's instagram the other day Mm. that with the food that you know comes out of your garden or these fresh grains that you're talking about ellie Mm. they just feel so they're 
I don't know, like, like there's a vibration to them or yeah. something really, I don't know what the right word well, is to say, but I, they just feel so alive and yeah. um, there, there's like a current through them. And when you, yeah. you, when you cook them, you just feel so excited and happy. Yeah. And then when you get these packages, you know, styrofoam and plastic from the store and you're peeling it apart and your dead food is falling out and you're like, oh, this mm. isn't the same. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. And it, it sounds like an esoteric kind of a thing to say, but it, it isn't. <laughs> it's it's well it no. could be and that's okay if that's your perspective but it's pure science too it's oxidization and all of these processes yeah. that take place the with, frequencies yeah that. when fresh ingredients aren't fresh anymore they Mm-mm. everything everything degrades and deteriorates over the time nutrients degrade. so yeah I, yeah I remember a farmer telling me um in Virginia he was saying broccoli <laughs> I wish I could remember exactly what he said, and I don't know what his source was, but he was saying, oh, some, you know, a study found that broccoli, after one day, the nutrient values just have plummeted so low. And then after three days, just like, why would you even eat it? And Mm -hmm. he was saying, you know, rarely is anything in the grocery store you're not finding something that was picked 12 hours ago. No, no. And um, that it, my sister and I, when we were working on that farm, we got so stuck up about our produce because you just really get used to it. Mm. And we would take some kale out of the fridge and we'd say, oh, this is from yesterday. Eh, nah, I, we can't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd look at each other and just laugh about how picky we had gotten. Yeah, but yeah. you can really tell. Yeah, you know, we don't all have the luxury of having everything super fresh. And I eat vegetables no, that have no, been in don't. my fridge for God knows how long, <laughs> all oh, the yeah. time. And it's been, but it's been winter here. Everything yeah. I have is, you know, jarred yeah. or frozen or something. It's yeah. just like, wow. Mm. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but I think if you, if you love bread and um, you develop a real passion for home baking, um, yeah. Mm. and and you're interested in where food comes from and varieties of grains mm. then yeah the home milling is is a lot of fun it just takes it to another level i guess yeah mm. my mom had i a... think um oh carry yeah. on now you go you go andrew i was just gonna say also if anybody's wondering about the fresh milled things then my mom had a grain mill well she still has it but she would grind the wheat for our bread when I was a kid and then she would store it in the freezer not mm. maybe for like not for a really long time maybe a mm. week or so when you have when you have eight kids that's a great way <laughs> to do it. it pretty fast yeah. yeah and but there the the flavor was real was really good of course we were you know mm. we were just it was just what mom did so it, we didn't think it was that unique but um a friend of mine said to me the other day i can't remember who were you that said this to me if you hear this please tell me i can't remember <laughs> who it was but they said oh we ground um some grain for our bread the other day and i thought you all were kind of going on a little bit about how much better it tastes but she said i could not believe mm. that the flavor was completely different I, yeah. it wasn't even the same thing and she was just so blown away well, so yeah. if anybody's wondering yes you can really tell the difference yeah yeah you still make really awesome bread if it's not freshly milled but it, it is a bit it oh, is yeah. definitely you can notice oh, yeah. it it's my rye is all pre-ground and you know 
most of my iron corn is usually pre-ground, yeah. so I'm not saying I'm always using the fresh ground stuff. But. And the other thing too is uh, with the fresh ground, if you're doing it yourself, you know that you're getting the whole grain in there because there mm. are, you can buy whole grain flowers here in Australia that say that they're the whole grain, but they're actually sifted a bit, you know, and they do, what? sometimes they do process them a little bit. Um, I found that out. So at least you know what you're getting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I've got my eye on the clock yes. here, girls, and I think that probably we're going to have to get you back for another episode because yes, <laughs> yes, kind of, oh we could gosh. just talk forever. Yeah. There's there's one other big kind of topic in your life that I want to touch mm. on before we finish for mm. sure, um, because I know aside from all the bread stuff, you make your own mm. soap and you've got Ellie's Everyday Soap Making yeah. Channel as well. Yeah. And I remember a few weeks ago we were talking about soap and you were saying you were thinking of it from an ancestral context. Mm. And what you said to me really inspired me and made me think about soap differently. I wonder if you would share that with, mm. with Can you remind me what I said to you? About your soap. <laughs> no. You were saying about how your, your nan used to use the same oh, soap yes. for everything. Oh, she had this one bar yeah. and, and yeah. just how I just looked at yes. all the things in the supermarket all these different yes. soaps we have and thought hang on yeah. something wrong here yeah absolutely um oh gosh yes I, I think about soap making I when I first discovered soap making I really fell in love with the history of it and I found some videos of Aleppo soap being made in um you know these basement level um buildings in Aleppo and sadly a lot of those soap factories are gone now but um, it's just incredible there are these really rich traditions of soap making all around the world and they're usually well then nearly always and this isn't surprising it certainly won't be surprising to you two but they're always you um, made soaps in different places in the world are made with fats and oils that are accessible in that locality so in a lot of areas in the Middle East and in Spain and different um, areas in Europe uh, olive oils and lots of um, plant oils particularly olive is is a really um, mm-hmm. is a really rich tradition of olive oil soap making in lots of places um, in America there's this uh, lots more people using um, making really beautiful soaps using animal fats lard and beef tallow and there's a real I think there's a real um, tradition of that certainly commercially here in Australia as well because um, you know beef is one of our biggest exports so there, there must be lots of companies using the um, the fat from I don't know I don't know, hang on, don't know what I'm talking about here. I'm mixing up um, live exports between just export of meat. But there's anyway, there's a lot of um, tallow soap made here in a lot of um, South Asian countries. There's loads of coconut oil soap and palm oil soap um, mm. and setting mm. aside the issues, the ecological issues with palm oil. Um, but there are there are um, traditions and histories associated with why Mm -hmm, certain mm -hmm. countries use those oils so i was thinking about soap making from that perspective and um you know i've always nearly always based a lot of my soap recipes on olive oil because it 
just so happens that it makes a very gentle soap and for my skin it likes it it's um, the fatty acid profile of olive oil soap is really complementary, and it's a really common base oil for that reason um, but yeah in other countries I really um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's also a soap maker um, saying I'm really not so focused on sharing my recipes I'm really much more focused on helping people to get the understanding and skills to be able to work out their own recipes because my audience is really diverse and quite global and I have actually my number one country where my audience is at the moment is in India so I have yeah lots and I've, I've been to India and I have a real connection with India so that kind of makes sense but uh you know they olive oil is really expensive there Whereas there are people there who've been in contact with me who, um, you know, their granddad had a coconut oil, a coconut farm. So their family make their own coconut oil. So coconut oil soap recipe is going to be really suitable for them. So I try and do as much of a diversity as I can of different approaches and show people. And I often say in my videos, you don't have to use my recipe. This is just I'm showing you this technique with this ingredient, but you could use another recipe depending on what oil you can get. And I try and encourage people to think about where the oils come from and why, uh, you know, they all have different properties. And some oils um, like coconut oil so can be really drying, but there are tricks that you can use to make it uh, less drying. Um so yeah, just trying to work around all those things so that people can have this nice balance between um, making their own soap and having their own homemade product with no packaging and you know just made yeah. with their own local ingredients if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a whole nother world, just like the sourdough yeah, bread. Yeah, it really you know, is. Just like there are shelves of fluffed up white bread in packages on the supermarket shelves. There are all these soaps with ingredients that have really dubious provenance and that our skin soaks up just like we're eating them. And with plastic all around them that ends up in the ocean. And it's a whole other world of making soap. Yeah. And I know we're running out of time, but the the thing with my grandmother, mm. like, you know, we we don't have to look too far back to see... um, women and yeah. men in our families doing things quite differently you know since mm. the industrial revolution it's not that long ago uh, that things changed really quite dramatically and now we're in this land of buying stuff off a supermarket shelf i i don't make everything myself i shop at a supermarket but if there are a couple of really basic everyday type things like for me it's soap and bread there's a whole lot of other stuff I do too but I don't have time to, those are just the ones that I focus on um then then that's a good start you know um mm-hmm. yeah yeah agree. so if people want to start with the soap because I know I know I'd love to give mm. it a go where where would you point them where would you point yeah them? I would first uh get them to think about where they are and what oils so you need oil to make soap basically and what oils can they get that are um, accessible to them in their part of the world and affordable and um, and if they can afford to buy um, locally produced oils or sourced oils or fats then even better and not everybody would want to do this but I I actually think the best way to start making soap is to learn how to calculate your own soap recipe. Soap making is a bit of a serious craft. It does 
require some pre-learning. Uh, you do have to handle caustic soda and it's quite a dangerous substance. So I've got videos on nearly all of these subjects on my channel, but um, I would be looking at learning the basic uh, process and, and understanding how soap is made and then thinking about what kind of oil you want to use and learning. It's not that hard to do. Uh, but learning how to calculate your own formulator recipe and just finding a simple recipe that um, fits a mold that you've got and fits the type of oil that you can get and and just start simple yeah wonderful mm. so that kind of leads us on to um, letting us know and let everyone listening know where we can find your videos for the bread and where we can find you where you hang yeah. out online yeah oh, great um, well, <laughs> it is a little bit confusing, I admit, but um, unfortunately I had to split my YouTube channel into two because they are two really different niche subjects and YouTube algorithm really likes specificity. So I used to have my sourdough, all of my original sourdough bread videos are on the same channel that is now Ellie's Everyday Soap Making on YouTube. So it's mostly soap stuff there, but there is still some sourdough. And I now have, for the whole grain only, sourdough bread making, I have a channel Ellie's Everyday Whole Grain Sourdough. And it's it's a very small little channel, but I'm very dedicated to it. I'll just keep adding things there. So if you're into the whole grain sourdough, that's the place to, to, to go to. Um, and are you? You're in Instagram. And I'm Instagram on Facebook and Facebook as well? as well. Yeah, just Ellie's every day at both of those um, places. And I'm just Wonderful. very close to being finishing to being finished um, building my website, which will be Ellie'sEveryday.com. I'm about a week or two off, so very soon, people. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, that would be really good. So soon, and and that will be really my home on the internet. After that, I'm really looking forward to having a bit of yeah. freedom from social media platforms and having my own place so that's yeah, yes. really going to be a resource hub and lots and lots of info there so um that will probably be up then by the time this episode oh, goes great. out so okay yeah i'll certainly be letting everybody know andrea do you have andrea do you have any more questions for ellie before we um let her go <laughs> um when when are we recording the next one <laughs> <laughs> this was so exciting it, oh, it just feels so good um, i i jokingly call it flower kraut uh, oh um, i love that <laughs> <laughs> but i love learning about flower kraut and sourdough and um this is it just feels so freeing and for everybody who just wants more of you, which I know we all do, your YouTube channel is amazing. So everybody can just go indulge. Now yeah. that the episode is almost over, you can just go yeah. straight over to YouTube and binge on <laughs> Ella videos. Yeah. <laughs> they're all the subjects, all the basic subjects on both soap and sourdough, they're all covered there. Like I've really just tried to tick off all those things that people want to know. So you can go to the playlist. The titles are so clear. It's uh, everything is so straightforward. Mm. It's that's why you have hundreds of thousands of views <laughs> because they're oh really good. And I can't wait to do. The, I'm I'm excited too. Like Allison was saying about the soap, I'm so excited about that because 
I do have quite a lot of tallow and mm. lard being Marken. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm that tallow. exact person you talked about. Yeah, that's great. I've got a good friend who I helped make her first soap using tallow that she rendered herself recently. And um, she was like, oh, can you make tallow soap? And I went, I can teach you and we can do it together. And guess <laughs> what? Tallow soap is one of the best soaps in terms of the I way <laughs> like the way that like it's qualities it's lasting mm-hmm. it's lather all that stuff mm-hmm. it's a really good gentle yeah. soap too yeah that's really good i really wish we could just get together in yeah. a kitchen and make some bread oh. and make oh. some soap and then good. sit eat. down and eat yeah. <laughs> that would be nice ellie is there anything else that you want to share oh, i don't we, think i want um, to share goodbye. anything else other than just my huge thanks and appreciation to you two for inviting me on the podcast. Thank it's you. been really fun. Thank you. Ali. And wow. um, thanks for what you're doing too. I think it's really exciting. Um, I've been listening to the episodes and really enjoying it, um, learning a lot. And I think it's just wonderful what you're doing, sharing what you know with other people. It takes some dedication to do that, but I think it's it's so important to present alternatives and uh yeah help people learn these skills yeah. so congratulations it's you're doing a great job and you too you're doing the thank same. you yeah we're, we're all, do, we're all yeah. doing we're all doing what we believe yeah in. thanks thank you ever so much for being uh, with us my pleasure our, um, my morning haze and andrea's nighttime haze beautifully <laughs> there with your with your birds i did oh, hear did them in the background oh, which was beautiful gosh yeah. beautiful i hope they're not too loud <laughs> oh, we love it and I hope everyone's enjoyed um, the episode. And, and yeah, hopefully in the future we'll have you back. But for now, we will say um, Love ciao. You. Great. Thank you. Ciao. Thanks. Thank Bye. you, Ellie. Bye, Alison. Bye, Bye, Andrea. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram. Andrea's at farm and hearth. And Alison's at ancestral underscore kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun, exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen.